If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. In 2013, the Great War began. The final, all-consuming war between the nations of the world. Let's define mutually assured destruction. The principle of deterrence founded on the notion that a nuclear attack by one superpower would be met with an overwhelming nuclear counterattack such that both the attacker and the defender would be annihilated. Well, in 2013 this began a domino effect. And when nuclear warheads are lobbed about the planet, no one can sit by and take a neutral stance, at least not effectively. Allies coming to the aid of allies, foes stepping in to attack intervening nations, enemies exchanging bombs on enemies. It would happen so quickly. It did happen quickly. The world was effectively destroyed. Even if you did not reside near a point of impact, radiation would come for you. It just might take some time. The air would become poisonous, the soil unusable, water contaminated. Food supplies and chains would immediately break down or just disappear. Industry would collapse. Healthcare would vanish. Supposing you didn't die within the first month, where will you get food? When the poisonous air comes for you, how will you reside on the surface? What water will you drink? If you couldn't go to a grocery store for food, if you couldn't grow your own food, if you didn't have an underground bunker stocked for a lifetime, would you survive? I wouldn't. I would be gone very soon after the war began. Probably choking to death. World leaders played their games of politics, power, and greed. Then the billions ate the pain and paid the price. I asked over and over again, who's responsible for this? Who launched the first nuke? But look at this world, does it even matter anymore? Those people are long dead at this point. What is the point in taking revenge? There certainly won't be justice. All that's left is the fallout. In Moscow, Russia, survivors made it into the metro system. Let's visit the future the year 2033, 20 years after the war, and see what life is like in this metro. Groups of people survive in stations of the metro, outposts of sorts. Though there is interconnectivity between them, there are factions that, even at the end of the world, can't help but feud with others over power struggles, ideology, and politics. Some things never really change. But it's not all-out warfare. There are places of peace within the metro that work together as allies to sustain life. Mushrooms and some vegetables are grown, and pigs are raised for food. Children are still being born. Medical care is rationed in some stations. There are still luxuries like alcohol and tobacco. Currency in this metro comes in the form of military-grade bullets, which are of far greater quality than the handmade bullets commonly used by patrols and combatants and trade regularly takes place between the stations. Let's talk about just a few of the factions at play within the metro. We have Hansa, a force that occupies major trade routes and outposts that connect the metro. Their method of influence comes through this control of trade, not through armed conflict, though Hansa does have an impressive soldier count to protect its interests. Then we have the Reds, a communist sect that controls a huge part of the metro, though it does it through pure numbers rather than wealth and security. 
The Reds promote a message of equality and strength through togetherness, but the common man instead must toil and hunger, are controlled through censorship, and conscripted into military service. The Reds are in constant conflict with the Fourth Reich. The Fourth Reich are Nazis, xenophobes, Hitler-loving fascists. The Fourth Reich, of course, wants a pure metro, ruled by them, only occupied by Russians they deem to standard. Not meeting their standard will garner one with the label of mutant, and mutants must be eliminated to ensure a bright future for mankind. They are fewer in numbers than Hansa and the Reds, but are better geared, trained for combat, and willing to engage in war. Then we have the Order. The Order is a neutral force within the Metro, which serves as a peacekeeping force. The Order patrols the Metro and the surface, clearing out dangerous mutated wildlife and handling bandits as they prey on weaker stations. The Order is very small in numbers and don't have a true base of operations, but they are important to the story of Metro 2033. So, let's begin. Near a station called Exhibition, strange attacks have been taking place. Some men who defend the outpost are brutally killed in the tunnels. But more than that experience mental attacks. It doesn't outright kill them, but instead damages their mind, leading to an eventual death. This is striking fear into the hearts of the inhabitants of Exhibition more than anything has before. And this psychic presence of fear is driving the animal mutants in the tunnels to attack human outposts. How do they fight against something like this? The leader of Exhibition, a man named Alex and the adoptive father of our protagonist Artyom, has suspicions. Alex believes that beings called Dark Ones are beginning to encroach on the Metro. These Dark Ones are what he calls the next step in evolution. After the bombs dropped, they were born, and they will win should a war begin. After another attack, very close to Exhibition takes place. A man named Hunter, who serves with the Order, tells Artyom that he's going after the Dark Ones in the tunnels and that if he does not return, then Artyom must go to Polis, the heart of the Metro, and tell the leader of the Order, a man named Miller, what happened to him and what is happening at Exhibition. The Dark Ones are a danger to the entirety of the Metro and must be stopped. And Hunter does not return from the tunnels. Artyom's journey must begin. He must go to Polis, and find Miller, the leader of the Order. The fate of Exhibition, his home, rests with the fulfillment of this mission and he takes it deathly serious. Artyom takes a job as a guard for a caravan traveling to a nearby station called Riga, not telling his stepfather Alex that he actually intends to go all the way to Polis and that he's on a mission from Hunter. It is Artyom's first time leaving Exhibition. During the journey with the caravan in the tunnels, they are attacked by the Dark Ones, or perhaps engaged would be a better word. They are engaged by the Dark Ones. All but Artyom are disabled. Animal mutants in the tunnels are riled up, attacking the caravan. Thankfully, Artyom is able to defend it, and recoveries are quickly made from the psychic attack. But this raises the question of how Artyom was not affected by the Dark Ones. 
Now there's something unique about our boy. At Riga, Ardium cannot proceed through the tunnels due to a lockdown. Apparently, there have been some odd events in the tunnels and bandit attacks. Though the people of Riga are oblivious as to the existence of the Dark Ones, Ardium meets a smuggler and a notorious roguish fellow named Bourbon, who is able to get him out through a blocked-off tunnel that is rumored to be cursed. News has already spread to Bourbon that Ardium is immune to the effects of whatever has been harming people in the tunnels, and he wants to use him to make it to the next station. Fair enough. This is Ardium's out into the metro, to the surface for the first time in his adult life, and to Bourbon's destination, where he is actually killed. Bourbon, not Ardium, don't you worry. And here, Ardium is introduced to a man named Khan, another important character to our story. Khan is an enigma. He seems to be far more in touch with the paranormal events that take place within the metro than anyone else. He guides Ardium along to an outpost operated by the Reds, the communist faction in a heated war with the Fourth Reich. To make it to Polis, it is unavoidable. Ardium must cross a war line between the two and he must do it alone. Ardium is smuggled to a front line, though is nearly captured and once again needs to be saved and guided forward. This time by two rangers from the Order, men who recognize that Ardium is carrying a token from Hunter and that Ardium needs to make it to Polis to speak with their leader, the man named Miller. One of these two men dies on the way to help Ardium reach Polis, another casualty in the mission. But the other man, named Ullman, helps to see Ardium to Polis. Ardium delivers Hunter's message, tells Miller about the Dark Ones attacking Exhibition, and pleads for help from the Order. The ruling council of Polis convenes to discuss what efforts can be spared to bolster this defense of the metro. But it is decided that Polis will offer no support to this small outpost. The encroaching Fourth Reich is a greater threat to them. Nazis are knocking at the door, and they need all their resources at Polis to stop the fascists from attacking the hub. War never ends. Miller will have none of this, though. Miller knows of a place called D6, a command center for missile bases around Moscow. He believes the location of D6 could be held in the depths of a military archive within a library at the surface. If they can get to that archive and just find where D6 is located, they stand a chance at activating the old missile bases and turning the weapons on the Dark One Hive at the Botanical Gardens on the surface. This is exceedingly dangerous, as the library is infested with brutish and intelligent beasts that are highly territorial. But it must be risked. Those missiles are the only weapons that can end the threat of the Dark Ones and save the Metro from them. And oh my, it is quite a fight to reach that archive. Miller was not mistaken in the least at the dangers Artyom would have to fight on his way there, but Artyom succeeds. He finds the documents relating to D6 and is able to bring them back to the surface. But Artyom begins to experience powerful hallucinations as they draw upon D6. 
messages from the Dark Ones. He, he's experienced them before, but not this strongly. It seems to be peaceful. This comes after Khan delivers to him a message asking him to end the circle of violence during this mission. It's very unusual, almost out of place in this violent world. Upon reaching D6, the rangers at the Order and Ardium find more than they could have hoped for. It's a relic from the past, full of pre-war military machinery, computers, and tiers of varied facilities. Though it's flooded with toxic gas, and after it's vented, Artyom very astutely ponders why there are no bodies or bones in this place, though spent cartridges litter the floor. To bring D6 back to life, power must be restored, which forces Artyom and Miller into the bowels of the bunker, where they find a massive, grossly shapen mess of flesh entwined around the reactor. The potential origins of this beast are a complete mystery. It's not difficult to discern a mutation that originated within an animal, but what on earth is this thing? It is quite hostile to the approaching humans, and even in victory, it's not yet dead. That will take greater joint efforts to accomplish. So for now, power is restored, and the Moscow missile bases need only guided to a target. Artyom delivers the missile guidance system to the surface, atop a radio tower, experiencing more hallucinations from the Dark Ones as he continues on. Upon reaching the summit of his journey, the most extreme of these hallucinations takes place. They say, stop him, he cannot be allowed, destroy him, stop him. It feels so antagonizing. It does not feel peaceful, yet Khan asked us to consider peace to end the violence. This is confusing. It's disjointed. It does not make sense. Artyom is pursued within this final hallucination by a specter of the Dark Ones, which does not approach with words of peace. Yes, they act in defense of their own home and their lives, but this is not conducive to what Khan has asked us to consider of them. So, what was Artyom to do when his home, family, friends, and the whole of the metro was at risk? He activated the missile guidance system, and the hive of the Dark Ones was destroyed. Leaving this place, Artyom is left to wonder if he did make the right choice. Were the Dark Ones reaching out for peace? Was the madness they inflicted upon men an unintended consequence? When the Dark Ones were destroyed, did mankind lose something as well? Artyom's story does not end here. These questions will carry on, and we will search for these answers when next we return to the Metro.